I'm your health coach, Melissa Lee. Here at Thriving with Nourishment Health, I provide women with the resources to reclaim fertility and celebrate periods through the lens of functional medicine. It is time to empower ourselves with natural solutions over band-aid medicines. We will get to the root cause of symptoms to see the bigger picture. Let us find the ability to heal ourselves, get back to Mother Nature, and live in a healthier world. Hi everyone, today I would like to introduce you to Dr. Aviva Ram. She's a physician, midwife, and herbalist who practices medicine and sees health a different way than a lot of doctors. I first came across Dr. Aviva through research for PCOS and I eventually got her book on the adrenal thyroid revolution. Dr. Aviva is an amazing resource for genuine information about women's health and botanical herbs. And I'm so excited to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Dr. Aviva. Thank you for having me. So this is your first time on the Nourish Mel podcast. So um, it would be great if you can give us a brief background of how you actually came to be an expert on women's health. Ah, so I actually started out going to college when I was 15, thinking that I wanted to be an MD. And then within a few months, I got exposed to home birth midwifery through a book called Spiritual Midwifery that a friend of mine at school gave me. And that led me on a whole different journey to leave school when I was 16, become a midwife and study a lot about the history of women's health and how um, kind of how obstetrics and women's health evolved in our country from the origins of women taking care of themselves and taking care of each other to basically the whole medical system for women being taken over by obstetrics and kind of all those alternatives becoming vilified as, you know, old wives tales and, mm -hmm. you know, it's kind of quackery basically. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. And so I became a home birth midwife and an herbalist at the same time because the people who were looking for natural birth were also looking for natural medicine like myself. And then after many years of doing that, I, I felt the um, disparity between what women were looking for and what women were able to actually find when they did need to go to the doctor was really challenging for women. They weren't able to find like safe, reliable resources in conventional medicine that weren't just sort of strictly conventional. And so I thought, okay, well, I need to make a change in that and decided to go back to school. At that point, I had four kids and I had been a midwife for 20 years and had written a number of books on natural medicine for women and for children. And so I, I did my went back to school, finished the degree that I had left to become a midwife and got my MD at Yale and then specialized in family medicine. Well, I'd studied internal medicine for a year and then family medicine for two years and specialized in integrative medicine, women's health, and pediatrics. Oh, wow. Your path is definitely not the common path to go into midwifery when you're 16. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's pretty awesome. And that I feel like it's pretty badass. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely not the usual for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, great. So in your book, The Adrenal Thyroid Revolution, which I think like a lot of women should get this book, um, you mentioned SOS signals given out by the body. So could you explain what the body is telling us? 
Yeah, so you know, we think about SOS, right, as like a survival signal. If you're stuck on a desert island, you watch a movie, somebody's stuck on a desert island, they put SOS in the sand, mm. so an airplane will come over and rescue them. And I was um, actually talking with someone one day and talking about how um, in my practice, I was starting to talk about how when stress puts you into that feeling of like, you know, there's normal stress, right? We, like, we feel stressed out, we're a little overwhelmed, things are going on in our life that maybe a little, you, you had a fight with your best friend or something, like there's mm-hmm. the stress, right? Then there's right. The big, bigger stress, like you have trouble um, paying your rent or you live in, a, you know, you're in a bad relationship or like the bigger life stresses. And then there's obviously what we're all going through right now with COVID-19, which is just sort of a stress Mm -hmm. of a whole new magnitude. And I was finding that most of the patients that were coming to me, there were almost none that had no stress. Like there were very few people that were like, yeah, my life is so relaxed. And I started noticing that a lot of my patients who had chronic health problems also had a pretty significant amount of stress. And some of them had even started having a pretty serious problem, like an autoimmune disease that followed a period of time where they had really major stress. So like a common story would be a woman who um, her mother had been sick for many, many months and then her mother passed away. And then she had been taking care of her mother and trying to take care of her kids and her house and her job. And then three months later, all of a sudden she has Hashimoto's or rheumatoid arthritis. And Mm -hmm. when we track back, there was something that contributed to it. So I was talking um, to a lot of patients and they were saying things like, yeah, I always feel like I'm stuck in survival mode or I always feel like I'm in overdrive. And I was explaining this to someone one day and she said, oh, so it sounds like survival overdrive syndrome. And I was like, huh, it is kind of like your body's giving you an SOS. And that, um, that just stuck as a thing. So it became survival overdrive syndrome or SOS. And basically it's the set of symptoms that we get along the way from whether we're recognizing that we're a little bit stressed out all the way to moderately stressed out all the way to where we get so severely stressed out that are, we actually go into some form of breakdown, you know, either emotional breakdown or mental health breakdown with depression and anxiety or panic disorders or sleep problems or actual physical symptoms like maybe it's digestive problems or maybe mm. it's some high blood pressure or blood sugar imbalances or gaining weight or losing weight or just not being able to sleep. It, like it can be a whole host of things all the way to diagnosable medical problems when this becomes really chronic. So it sounds like you're saying the all these symptoms that you just mentioned, the physicality, um, those are kind of like the signals that we should start to be aware of before it trans, you know, transforms into like an autoimmune disease. Yes. I mean, and I'm not saying that anyone is, you know, it's like, I'm not saying anyone is causing their autoimmune disease. There are a lot of factors that go into all kinds of chronic diseases, environmental exposures, you know, childhood trauma. There's so much. But some of those things are out of our control. And the one that is, to some extent, a little bit more in control is how we respond to stress. Like stress is a natural part of life and a little bit of stress can even be motivating. And then some people have so much stress that's beyond their control because they live in a socioeconomically deprived situation, right? Because of um, cultural issues, biases, racial um, biases, economic challenges, uh, education challenges, and so forth. But even within that, you know, how we choose to respond has a huge impact on our physiology. 
And the ideal is to start to learn the smaller symptoms so that we don't end up in the kind of crash and burn. And all of these symptoms come from literally our survival response system. So that's why survival mode was so apropos and survival overdrive was so apropos because we all have this internal survival response system that starts in our brains, goes through our bodies to our adrenal glands and results in the production of a chemical called adrenaline and a hormone called cortisol. And adrenaline and cortisol in small amounts are actually quite beneficial for our health. But when we're chronically overproducing them, they can cause a lot of the symptoms that I mentioned and more. And sometimes when we chronically overproduce them for too long, we actually um, get into a little bit of a phase of burnout and the brain tells the adrenals not to produce so much. And that can cause other symptoms like fatigue and depression and getting sick too often and that's sometimes where the autoimmune system symptoms can arise too. So in your book, you mentioned SOSO and SOSE. So I guess this is the dynamic you're talking about, like the whole overdrive and then going into a burnout, like the crash and burn. Exactly. Uh, and mm-hmm. Exactly. They're not technical medical terms. There's no actual medical diagnosis for adrenal um, burnout or um, right. It's not a gene of fatigue. fatigue. <laughs> right. It's not a real medical diagnosis, but it is mm-hmm. a real phenomenon. It is a real medically recognizable, scientifically identified series of events. And so, yeah, the way I define it is um, loosely when you're in that overstimulation, hypervigilance, um, anxiety, overstimulated, that's more like that SOSO, which stands for overdrive. That's when the system is sort of stuck in the on position. Mm-hmm. And then SOSE is when one actually becomes depleted and exhausted. So an example of SOSO would be somebody who is chronically driven by deadlines and just can't ever hit pause. And they're actually unable to sleep and they're, you know, they're hyper, they're anxious all the time. Whereas SOSO, E would be, let's say that person, you know, a year or two or three down the road now has become so exhausted that they're starting to get, you know, they're having trouble waking up in the morning. They are getting sick all the time. That's when they're starting to get into that more. The brain has told the um, adrenals to stop producing those hormones and chemicals because overexposure to them can be harmful. So if someone has allergies or, you know, kind of a day-to-day like sinus issue, would you consider that as a hypervigilance of the immune system? It's a really interesting question, Mel. I mean, when you look at the studies on adrenal issues, and these studies have been performed by immunologists, um, endocrinologists, and people who specialize in something called psychoneuroimmunology, the connection between stress the immune system and the nervous system. And things like chronic allergies, chronic asthma, getting hives, um, food reactions can actually be associated with dysregulation in the stress response system. Now, one can have allergies for other reasons. So like a peanut allergy, Mm -hmm. maybe just more purely immunologic Um, you could have an allergy to mold or a pollen that may not be due to the stress response. But we do know that people who have those symptoms or those conditions do tend to get exacerbated significantly by stress. 
And sometimes these syndromes and problems can be triggered even as at the onset by stress. So I'm thinking right now, um, all of us are staying home. Um, And so, you know, I guess, like, for example, to give a personal example, my husband now, he has like a lot more sinus issues and allergy issues at home compared to before when he, you know, could like at least go out to work and expose himself to daylight or fresh air. So I'm just wondering in that sense, would, would that be kind of linked to maybe more stress during this time or just, um, you know, the home environment? It could be. I would say that probably, um, you know, if a patient came to me and asked me that question, I'd probably link it more to the home environment just because it's so circumstantial. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, certainly stress can be making it worse, but, um, you know, it's, it's crazy, but indoor air pollution is actually in most places considered to be significantly worse than outdoor air pollution. Oh, um, that's lot, crazy. Oh. Yeah, a lot of newer homes and a lot of newer apartments um, or homes that have been updated or apartments that have been updated are so airtight that um, we're not getting as much venting of um, household accumulated off-gassing from paints and furniture and plastics um, and then of course if you have your heat running you know depending on what you're using for heat that can be contributing so it can really just be the internal environment. Mm-hmm. That, so I usually mm-hmm. recommend like a HEPA air filter to start. And then of course, stress reduction is always beneficial if we can remember to do it. So you know, <laughs> it can always help. Yeah, it, it would be best if we do not expose ourselves to the news too much on a daily oh basis gosh, right now. I'm having to stay off it so yeah, much. Totally. So scary. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So, okay, in this regard, going off on the whole stress response, for women, how would this affect our menstrual cycle? Yeah, great question. So it definitely does. So we know that stress triggers our um, body to go into kind of an energy conservation mode. And so this whole adrenal response and production of cortisol can then have kind of like a domino effect. It can slow down the thyroid. And that is done because your body, your thyroid is um, what burns your energy. It's what creates metabolism. And so in order for your body to conserve energy, which it automatically does when, any, when there's any threat to our safety or when there, and stress triggers that sensation, um, and when the thyroid gets slowed down, it can actually slow down your reproductive function and make it get offline. You know, it can just kind of make it get off balance. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we know that a lot of times when we're, when we're stressed, I mean, I think a lot of, you know, every woman's experienced you're traveling or you have exams or you've had a stressful situation in your life and you skip a period, we're much more likely to experience that right now. Um, so I think that there are like a few things to keep in mind. One, it may be normal. So if you skip one or two periods or have even up to three irregular periods and you don't have any reason to believe you're pregnant or you have a negative pregnancy test and there's no other medical reason, it could actually just be stressed. But if you do skip a couple of periods, it's a good, even if you skip one, it's a good idea to do a pregnancy test just to make sure. And then I think in general, um, it's a really good time for women to be very clear about what birth control they're using, especially if they're home with a partner. I think a lot of people are hooking up less right now just because they're trying to avoid physical contact with people. That, that they just you know that are just random but if you're home with your partner and you haven't been using birth control 
and your cycle's off and you're, you know, having comfort sex right now, um, <laughs> it's going to be, I, I won't be surprised if there are a few more pregnancies than expected over the next yeah. few months. Yeah. Align with that, if someone has PCOS, how much attention do we have to pay to our, our adrenals? Because I know a lot of PCOS women are kind of thinking about, okay, what kind of supplements am I going to take? What am I going to eat? But I guess, you know, we also have to really pay attention to that stress piece. Yeah. So um, there, like, as you mentioned with stress, I mean, for one thing, it can really affect what we eat, right? So there's a whole phenomenon right now of comfort baking going on or stress baking, I think it's called. And you know, we do want to be mindful when we're in times of stress to really keep our blood sugar steady and not go off the rails on sugar and carbs. At the same time, you know, it is a stressful time and eating a little bit of carbs, like healthy whole grains can really be helpful for managing stress and our blood sugar. Um, so for everyone, we need to be mindful. And then especially if you have PCOS, you know, just being mindful to keep with a healthy diet right now. The other thing is that um, because we're, we're so indoors right now, um, I think people are forgetting that they can still get out and walk or even exercise at home. And for women with PCOS, exercise is one of the most important things that we can do to keep blood sugar balanced um, and keep hormones in balance. So some form of moderate, regular exercise, you know, keeping up with that is really great. The other thing is that women with PCOS often have elevated androgens, right? Male hormones right. or the ones we associate. Women have them too, but we associate them with like testosterone, for example. Um, and stress can create imbalances in the production of our adrenal hormones, including our androgens. So there is actually um, an androgen component that may be triggered by um, shifts that are happening in the adrenals when we're under stress. So that just becomes yet one more reason to mm-hmm. work on keeping stress, you know, chilling it out when you can, which also feels better. It just overall feels better to do that. Yeah. And I think the whole part about letting go of like trying to do everything at once, especially now, we should give ourselves the time to kind of let go and just even find some creative time. Absolutely. I mean, like this morning I woke up and just that, you know what, I have so much work to do today because I'm in this time producing a lot of content to support women online. And I was like, no, I'm going to not rush in and I'm going to have a slow start to my morning and I'm going to write in my journal. And I actually felt better when I actually got to my work than feeling that internal pressure to get so much done. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely hitting pause and, you know, watching comedies or getting out for a walk. Um, it's getting to where I can start to work in the garden, having some creative outlets, you know, whether it's a handcraft that you do or painting or drawing, all of that. Cooking is, it's a great time to learn to cook if you've always wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, all of that can help keep your stress much calmer and you know it just feels good to do that um so i think there's a win all around nice also just keeps us from you know checking the news and looking at the statistics and all those things that i think it's important to do regularly but not frequently yeah totally i skipped up i skipped out on looking at the news for the past two days and it was wonderful i felt like i could like focus on reading novels, like things I actually like to do and not be so, it makes me less paranoid too. Totally. You know, it's interesting, the adrenal glands, um, when we think about it, we think about fight or flight. 
but um, there's a whole other response that is in the animal kingdom, which is f- there's fight, flight, and freeze. And freeze happens when, you know, like when a, um, uh, a cat catches a mouse and the mouse mm-hmm. goes limp. And the mouse goes limp, but it's not dead, but it convinces the mouse that it's dead. So the mouse drops it to, you know, eat it later and the mouse runs away. And many human beings actually, some of us go into fight. I tend to be like the fight person. I'm like gonna, I'm gonna like fight <laughs> it out. I'm like the warrior. Um, some people go into flight where they shut down, but some people go into freeze. And when they get really stressed or really panicked, they just can't get anything done. And so, you know, some people may just find themselves looking at the statistics and just being like, I can't handle this and feel like they need to find ways to numb themselves out. And then that's not really, really productive or satisfying, right? Like and you that's said, where you, all the stress eating comes in. Totally. I suppose. Okay. Yeah. I mean, we stress eat because it's really interesting when we eat. Um, first of all, the adrenals, in order to produce the response for the stress hormone, uh, for the fight or flight response, they actually use up a lot of fats and a lot of carbs And also the body wants more salt because if you were to get attacked by something like an animal and you were to start hemorrhaging, you need more salt to keep your blood pressure up. You need more glucose to fuel the muscles that run and you need fat because your fat is, um, you're able to break it down and transform it into sugar. So um, salt, fat, and carbs are really, or sugar, are really important molecules that maintain your ability to stay activated in that stress response or to replenish the stress molecules when you're done. And also carbs do some things in the brain with neurotransmitters like serotonin and dopamine that also shut down the stress response. So when we're under stress, our bodies are actually like, it's not just you don't have willpower, your body is actually driving you to consume fat, salt, and sugar. And I also think it's a really important time because of that to not be too restrictive in the diet because dietary restriction also triggers the stress response. So letting yourself eat some healthy carbs right now Mm -hmm. is really important. You know, eating some small amounts of things that do sort of satisfy that urge for something sweet or fatty or salty, Mm -hmm. but keep it organic, keep it healthy, you know, don't do it every day and don't binge out on it. But I think that small amount can actually quiet the stress response and keep you happy. And, and like I said, keep, you know, keep you from restricting, which does ultimately just make you binge out later. Interesting. So if someone were to crave something salty or fatty or sugary, I guess that would, would would it be accurate to say that, okay, that person's sort of in some kind of stress state and that's why, you know, they have these cravings? Yeah. I mean, it can be something like if you're diabetic, it can make you crave sugar. So you want to just make sure that you're not having other symptoms that suggest that you should get a medical workup. But in general, if you're sort of, you know, craving Ben and Jerry's (laughs) chunky Mm -hmm. chunky monkey ice cream, think about it. I think that one has like there's one of them has like pretzels. It's got like salt and fat and sugar in it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, mm, yeah, total it's a combination. Think, yeah. Yeah. Think about a Snickers bar or some people might just crave like really salty chips. They just mm-hmm. notice that they're craving that. That's actually so me. Yeah. Yeah. I would much rather eat like salty French fries than sugar, but some people would just much rather like, you know what your stress food mm-hmm. is. Right. And so if you're craving that, that's probably what's going on. 
for the ending, you know, talking about nutrition and satisfying cravings, I would like to ask you a little bit more about herbs because you're yeah. an herbalist. Um, and also, you know, what kind of herbs right now would actually help to support the stress response, boost our immunity? And also, um, what are kind of the safety precautions that we need to take? Because I know that not all herbs are for anyone, you know, and like, I guess people don't really know about them. Yeah, so the probably the best group of herbs to be thinking about right now are called adaptogens. And the name is exactly what it sounds like. They help us to adapt to stress. And they've been really, really well studied. I mean, there are thousands of studies on adaptogens, and some of them are very good quality studies. They've been used traditionally in Ayurvedic medicine, uh, Chinese medicine, Japanese medicine, and even um, in, by First Nations people in the U.S., um, things like ginseng. Uh, ashwagandha, rhodiola, holy basil, and there are many, reishi mushrooms, shiitake mushroom, most of the medicinal mushrooms. And they're fascinating because what they actually do is they start by working at the brain's level of the stress response and help to regulate how your body responds to stress. And you mentioned, you know, supporting immunity. And one of the things with stress is that when we're under significant or prolonged amounts of stress, we often get sick. And sometimes we don't get sick during the stress, we get sick after. So a lot of people who have, you know, in graduate school can relate to, you know, you push hard all semester and you like get your finals done and you get your final paper in and then it's the first day of vacation and you get bronchitis, right? You get sick. Right. And, you know, so like we're pushing, we're pushing, we're pushing. Uh, adaptogens help to rate the immune system. They help support immunity. And some of them have even been shown to reduce um, susceptibility to certain infections like herpes virus and flu virus. Um, also, they help to regulate blood sugar. So they may be especially helpful for women with PCOS. Oh. And um, several of them also help to balance out and reduce inflammation and even aches and pains. So like ashwagandha is great for inflammation um, and aches and pains, while the medicinal mushrooms are especially beneficial for the immune system. The cautions I would give are, I think they're fine for most people. If you are pregnant, they're not appropriate, but they're fine if you're breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. If you're on immunosuppressive medications, then you should check with your doctor before using them because some of them may be uh, contradictory. If you have high blood pressure, then you shouldn't use ginseng and you shouldn't use licorice. And that's especially important right now because people with high blood pressure are having much worse responses to COVID-19. They're getting much, much sicker. So it's like a super high risk factor. So high blood pressure, don't use those. Um, even if you have high blood pressure in your family right now, I just, you know, wouldn't use licorice just to be mm -hmm. extra precautionary. I mean, you could use it for a couple of days if you have like, if you're making a cough remedy, but I wouldn't use it more than that. And then, um, let me think who else shouldn't use them. I think, I think I covered all the bases on that. Um, uh, and then stick to the more gentle ones. Things like ginseng can be overstimulating, but ashwagandha, reishi mushroom, those are pretty gentle. Oh, and I was going to say, if you do get COVID-19 infection, then mm -hmm. I would just stop taking them because we don't know. Like there's some thought that some of the extracts in the mushroom, medicinal mushrooms, may actually increase some of the immune response. So 
There's no science on it because COVID-19 is so new and they haven't been studied in that context. I think that if you aren't sick, even if you've been exposed, they're probably fine. But if you are, do get symptoms, just stop taking them. Interesting. Good to know. I'm so glad you talked about ashwagandha because I actually have a little like tincture drop um, and I put it with water and it really helps with the whole stress response. Yeah, um, it's a good one. Yeah. I have a, what about astragalus? Astragalus is uh, used for prevention. It's not really an adaptogen. It's more of an mm-hmm. immune tonic. And so um, in traditional Chinese medicine, it's used to protect against the infection Uh, against infections. And they say in Chinese medicine that it helps to support something called the Wei Qi, Mm W-E-I. And the idea of the Wei Qi is it's the body's inherent surface level immune response. And when you look at some of the immunology and how it works, it does seem like it's activating that early immune response to help the body to quickly um, protect the body from getting the invasion of that infection. So I think it's totally appropriate for preventing viral infections. Again, we don't know anything about whether it would be protective against COVID-19, mm-hmm. um, but in general for cold and flu, absolutely. I think it's fine to use. There's no reason that I can think of to not use it. But again, if you get sick, and in fact, even traditionally, when you do get sick, um, you're not supposed to take a straggle. So you, you'd come off of it at that time. Okay, good to know. I actually purchased um, some astragalus this morning because I was going to make like a congee that I found online by um, Andrea Beeman. She's really good. Yeah, she's really good with the herbs too. So I just wanted to kind of check, not to, you know, use it in the wrong kind of situation. Yeah, I also have a a miso soup on my website that uses astragalus. So if you have a little bit of extra, you can try the immune miso soup. Ooh, I'll definitely look up for that. Yeah. I'm actually really excited to try your garlic lemonade today. It's so good. <laughs> when I first heard it, I was like, what is this garlic lemonade? Um, yeah, pretty excited. Yeah, it's so funny because when I was making it for the video the other day, I had a whole quart of it. And then I was mm-hmm. just, oh man, this is so good. I just drank it up. <laughs> All right. So, well, I think that kind of wraps up whatever we want to talk about stress today and adrenals and thyroid. Thank you so much for coming on Thank to the you podcast. Thank so you for having me. Yeah, it was really great. I hope that listeners will actually, um, you know, look up for the signs of like stress response in their body before it gets too much. And then also look at incorporating some herbs and restorative work for their stress.